Well, good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad that you've joined us, um, those here present uh, location, and obviously those of you watching online, even live or, or later. We're in a series called You're Not Far, and I noticed that was a, a line from one of the songs the praise team did earlier. Uh, today's topic is the upside-down kingdom. Now, how many of you are leaders? Well, how many of you say you are, but probably almost all of you are leaders somewhere, either leaders in your family, leaders in the church, leaders in uh, some other civic organization, leaders at work. You are a leader somewhere. So today we're going to look at what some, Jesus said about leadership and how with one word, we, you and I can be better leaders, leaders like Jesus would want us to be. So we're in this study of this guy named Jesus. Not any Jesus, but a Jesus of Nazareth from 2,000 years ago. And so it's, it's, it's his story. But he's not telling the story. Someone else is telling the story. A guy by the name of Simon Peter. We normally call him Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And probably 30 years after uh, the resurrection of Jesus, Peter has probably told these stories hundreds of times. But he dictates them. We believe he dictated them. He wasn't a person who probably could read or write. So he's dictating to someone else, and he's recording this. And his name was John Mark. So this gospel, this story of Jesus is called the Gospel of Mark, even though it's Peter's story. <clears throat> Mark's a, not a Jew. He's a Greek. And so that means a lot to you and I because most of us aren't Jews. And so... <laughs> The Jews category, everybody is Jews or non-Jews, so we fit in that other category. Now, really important to remember, as he's dictating this and Mark's writing this, is that they weren't writing the Bible. They were documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. It's like his journal or uh, his memoirs, <laughs> and he's telling uh, <clears throat> this story, this, this story from his life. <clears throat> Now, at the very beginning, he gives us the theme of Jesus' preaching. And it's different than the theme of the Christian church for the last 2,000 years because our mainstay, is we'll celebrate every Sunday and especially on Easter, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And obviously it hadn't happened yet. So what was Jesus' bottom line theme or message of his, of his teaching? Well, he tells us right up front. This was what Jesus would preach. The time promised by God has come at last. So, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Over a thousand years you've been waiting for this Messiah, this anointed one from God to come. Well, he said, the wait's over. I'm here. <clears throat> so, consequently, the kingdom of God is near. If the king's here, then the kingdom of God is near. Correct? And so, man's response then in <clears throat> was to be twofold, repent of your sins and believe the good news. So this is good news. So it's not a negative thing, even though our sin is negative. Uh, it's a positive thing to take care of your sins. Now last week, if you missed last week, we talked about uh, some of the religious leaders traveling all the way from Jerusalem uh, to, to Galilee, uh, 90 miles, three or four or five day trip to find out about this, this Jesus guy, this new rabbi. <clears throat> And Jesus didn't have any kind words to say about them. He called them hypocrites, among other things. So if you don't like hypocrites, you and Jesus have a lot in common, because he didn't like them either. 
So we've been showing you a map because this is uh, real events that happen in real places to real people. So Jesus is from Galilee. That's that yellow part up front. For those of you who are here online, you can see the map. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> in this, uh, the account we're going to look at next, he travels to Caesarea Philippi. So it's kind of hard to see on the map, but it's kind of uh, up and to the right from that, that yellow area of Galilee. So you're outside of the nation of Israel. It's actually a very heathen place. And Jesus obviously traveled there to minister. But he begins this teaching uh, that's different. <clears throat> and um, kind of a turn. Everything's been kind of positive healing and miracles and all this stuff. <clears throat> Not positive with the, Phil- the Pharisees, but everything else has been pretty positive. So Jesus kind of uh, changes his message. And he first asked his disciples, <clears throat> what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Kind of interesting question, right? And so they say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist reincarnated or some other prophet. And then Jesus asked him a really important question, question for all of us. Who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, as he speaks up, and uh, he's getting credit for it here in his memoirs, <laughs> he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now Jesus says, no, 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 that's not right. That's too arrogant. He accepts Peter's evaluation of him. So again, it's really important. Who do you and I say Jesus is? And then he starts to change this this, uh, uh, dialogue. And uh, this is where we left off last week. It says Mark 8, um, 31. He began to tell them that the Son of Man, that's himself, Jesus, must suffer many terrible things. Now, this is really confusing. If you're one of Jesus' followers up to this point, what are you talking about, Jesus? We believe you're the Messiah. You're going to set up this earthly kingdom. Messiahs don't suffer, period. They don't suffer many things. They are blessed by God. Uh, People that are blessed don't, don't suffer. Bad things don't happen to good people. Remember, that's part of their theology. And he goes on, they're going to be rejected by the religious leaders. Well, wait a minute. No, no, no. The Messiah is going to be ahead of this Judaism, the religious leaders. We, they can't reject you. So very confusing. And then, of course, this part, and he's going to be killed. Well, you don't kill messiahs. Uh, how's this happening? How, how is your kingdom going to be set up if you're dead? Of course, they probably kind of forgot the rest of this. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. So this isn't something Jesus told them once. We don't know how many times he told them, but Mark's going to record it three times in three chapters. And the the text goes on. As he had talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter takes him aside. Uh, Jesus, come here. (laughs) And he starts to reprimand him for saying such things. And I always laugh at this because it's kind of humorous, right? Jesus, God, who, who knows everything, and Peter, this limited human like you and I, is, is going to try and correct him, right? <laughs> Tell him he's wrong. Now, it's, it's really not that funny because you and I do this. Anytime you and I disagree with God's word or God's leading in our life, say, yeah, I, I know you want me to do this, God, but I'm not going to do it. 
we are reprimanding Jesus. So, what's Jesus' response? How does Jesus respond to this? He says, well, he's, Peter's, he's sitting, standing over here talking to Peter. He looks at the other disciples. Evidently, they heard what was going on. Jesus turns back to Peter <clears throat> and reprimands him, corrects him, straightens him out. <laughs> he says, get away from me, Satan. What, what, what did he mean? He wasn't literally Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. Now, just something I need to, to share with you. Do you and I need to protect Jesus? Because that's what Peter was trying to do, right? He's trying to protect him from this uh, negativity that he was projecting about suffering and dying. No, no, no. You and I don't need to pr protect Jesus. Jesus can take care of himself. Then he called the crowd. Of course, the crowds are always around, right? Talks to the disciples, then he talks to the crowd. If any of you wants to be my followers, conditional statement, you can be my follower or not. If you want to be my follower, there's conditions to being a follower. Here's what he said. You must give up your own way. Some translations say deny yourself. Give up what you want to do. Give up your selfish interest. Lots of ways you could say that. Take up your cross. Now, we just kind of read through that. These folks saw, heard, smelled crucifixions. They probably knew someone had been crucified. They might even had a family member that had been crucified. When Jesus said, take up your cross, this is not an easy decision. And then you can follow me. So, I'm going to summarize it this way. Following Jesus will cost you something. Now, the question, is it worth it? When you and I spend money on something, our decision, we're making the decision that this money I'm exchanging for this object is worth it. Now, let me get, make this clear. Salvation is completely free. Nothing you and I can do to get it other than accept it as a gift. But once we've entered into a relationship with God, we've received His forgiveness and this eternal life we receive, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your will and desires in exchange for God's will and desires. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've already made that decision, yes, it's worth it. <laughs> it's the greatest deal in, that you and I are ever going to get. But some of you may be still trying to decide, so we're glad that you're joining us. So he explains a little bit more. And here it gets a little more confusing. <laughs> if you try to hang on to your life, that means you kind of do your thing, you will lose it. Basically he's saying, you're going to live and then everybody dies. But there's another option, better option. If you give up your life, <clears throat> not just foolishly, but for my sake, say, I'm going to not choose to do what I want to do, but I'm going to choose what you want me to do, God. For the sake of the good news, you will save it. Now, to me, this kind of means this. When we accept Jesus' invitation, our lives have purpose and meaning. Something that's really sad for me to see, especially old, uh, folks getting near death, looking back on their life and really, you know, what did I do with it? I mean... What, what was the purpose? Just to spend 60, 70, 80 years on, here on earth and then die? 
Uh, was it all about just, I don't know, what, whatever I wanted to do, uh, pleasuring myself? I don't know what it was. Really, really sad. But all of us had that decision to make. What is the purpose of my life? Does it have purpose? Does it have meaning? And the bottom line is that Jesus can do a lot more with your life than you can do with it. Uh, I have a sister that's here. Back when I was 18, I decided, oh, Jesus wants me to, actually, just before I turned 18, uh, wanted me to be a preacher. <laughs> and so I had another idea in life, and, which probably would have been okay, but God made a much greater purpose for my life, following His will for my life, than, than mine. And same, you don't have to be a preacher to do this. It doesn't matter who you are. gives purpose and meaning to life. And so when I breathe my last breath, I'm going to be satisfied with my life. Hopefully you will be also. But why don't we do this? Well, fear, basically fear. And fear always invites us to follow the path of, I'm going to use the term, self-preservation. Whether it's self-preservation for me personally, bodily, or self-preservation of my will and my desires, my goals in life. That's what fear does. And it it ultimately is a lose-lose situation. I'm going to lose out on, in, in, in spiritual sense, I'm going to lose out on salvation, and I'm going to lose out on a greater purpose that I would have if I'd accepted Jesus' gift. So Peter, Peter makes a decision, and the other disciples, after Jesus said this, to continue to follow. Evidently, they'd heard so much, so much seen so much, and I'm sure they didn't quite understand it all, um, but they continued to follow. Now, one question I came across, uh, thought I came across this week that's kind of been haunting me is this question here. It goes to purpose. When COVID-19 is just a story we tell, two years from now, four or five years from now, ten years from now, it's just going to be a story. Oh, you remember back in 2020 and 2021, that COVID thing? When it's just a story we tell, will it be a story worth telling? For me personally, for my family, for the church family, for the church as a whole. Will it be a story worth telling? Did we retreat in fear? Or do we continue to be uh, people of God, serving God, and following God? Just a thought to leave with you. All right, so we're going to skip through chapter 9. But in the middle of chapter 9, Jesus says to him again, "Uh, I'm I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm going to be tortured and suffer and die, and on the third day rise, rise again. So then we get to the 10th chapter. We're going to pick it up in kind of in the middle. We can't, there's a lot of stuff we have to skip. Uh, they, Jesus and the disciples, now on their way up to Jerusalem. And we'll show you the map and explain this a little bit. Jesus was walking ahead of them. You're following Jesus. He's up front. You follow him. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. So it's at least the third time we're going to hear this. But let's look at the map first. So they're headed to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. Well, they're in this, uh, they had traveled back down to that yellow area, Galilee, from Caesarea. They traveled back down to there. Now they're headed to Jerusalem. So what they did, they didn't go through Samaria, so they crossed over to that purple and green area. On the east side of the Jordan, they would travel all the way down till they could get across to the orange area, which was Judea. Um, Now, the reason they say up is because once you're, (laughs) 
Well, almost any place in Israel, you have to go up to get to Jerusalem because it's kind of on a, on a plateau. But if you're down at the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is below sea level. So if you're down there, you've, you've got to go up to go any place. So that's why it's up to Jerusalem, and, and it's, it's quite a bit up. We were in a bus, fortunately, the day we were traveling up from Jericho. But it, it's quite a climb. I haven't checked the elevation, but that's why it's up. So that's where Jesus is. He's just crossed the Jordan. He's uh, going into uh, the area of Judah, Judea. So he's got his disciples around him. He says, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. I think we heard this before, right? They'll sentence him to die, hand him over to the Romans. The text goes on. They'll mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. Now notice, Jesus knew all these things that were going to happen to him. And yet still, he was headed and toward his fate in Jerusalem. The only reason would be anybody would, if they knew that, would submit to that was why. His love was greater. And of course, after three days, rise again. Again, I'm sure the disciples didn't understand this. It was confusing. So Jesus again, over and over again, he said, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to suffer and die. In this case, in this instance, something happens right after this. Really uh, telling about human nature, <laughs> unfortunately. Then James and John, two of the disciples, sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. So they took Jesus aside, said, teacher. They didn't call him rabbi, they didn't call him Messiah, called him teacher. We want you to do us a favor. Now, I don't know about you, I'm kind of maybe a skeptical type person. When somebody asks you, I want you, even my wife, when you, <laughs> they want you to do a favor, don't you get a little anxious? What exactly is this going to entail? How hard is this going to be? How much of a sacrifice this is going to be? And it's interesting. People ask you that because they don't ask you what it's going to be first. They just try and get you to agree to it um, before what, it, what it's going to be. Now, so I'm a little, I'd be a little anxious in that situation. Um, Jesus, amazingly, is so patient with these guys. I just told you I'm going to suffer and die and you want me to give you a favor? No sympathy at all? Anyway, text goes on. Jesus said, what do you guys want me to do for you? All right? Very important question for all of us. Because anytime you and I pray, for example, what are we doing? We're saying, God, this is what I'd like you to do for me, right? Heal this person, save this person, make, make you know, this change in the world, etc." So, all our prayers are kind of like, Jesus, do us a favor. Now, he tells us to ask. He wants us to ask. But in this situation, what are these disciples asking? Well, let's read the text. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne. Well, they, well he was just talking about dying. No glorious throne. But they're still stuck on that Old Testament mentality of Messiah, right? Messiah is going to sit on a glorious throne. We want to sit at places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. So, yeah, Jesus, you're going to be at the top of this pyramid of power. But not the Pharisees going to be next. We want to be number two and number three in your kingdom. All right? Kind of our human nature, right? We want to be the bosses. 
what's Jesus' response to him? He said, you don't, you don't understand. You don't know what you're asking. Now, it's amazing to me he didn't ridicule them. They, what? You, you don't care about the fact that I'm dying? And what makes you think that you should be the next number two and number three people? He, he doesn't do that. <clears throat> he just told them, you're not able. You're not ready. You don't understand. <clears throat> Sometimes when we ask, quote-unquote, God for a favor, we don't understand, do we? And what he's saying to them and specifically is, you're not ready and willing to suffer. And as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, disciples all just ran away, right, when Jesus was arrested. You're not ready. Now, ultimately, they did. Uh, James was probably martyred. John was put into exile in later life, lived a long life, but um, uh, suffered, I'm sure, during his life. So, they asked Jesus this favor. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You're really not ready to be able to, to do it anyway. But the story is fascinating at this point. What happens next? Well, the other 10 guys, right? There's 12 disciples. The other 10 guys, the other 10 disciples, heard what James and John had asked. And, of course, they're really happy about it, right? <laughs> they were upset. Now, why were they upset? Were they upset because you have no sympathy for Jesus? He just told us he was going to suffer and die. No, 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 that's not why they were upset. I kind of thought about it this way. They, they um, were saying, it's not fair, right? Why should they be number two and three? We want to be number two and three. It's kind of like when our kids would, you know, cut up a pie and, you know, one kid would complain, well, he's got a bigger piece than us, than I do. And we would say, okay, one of you cut the pieces up and let the other choose. It's kind of an easy way to keep it pretty, pretty even anyway. But it's part of our nature, right? It's not fair. He, they're, they're, they're going to get a higher position than we're going to get. And, of course, again, Jesus is so patient. He's so patient with them. He's so patient with you and I. So he calls them together. Text goes on. Calls them together. Now, you, you guys know this, right? That the rulers of this world lord it over the people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And, of course, yeah, we understand it. That's why we want to be number two and three. So we can have the power and, and be over everybody else. We, yeah, we understand that. That's what we want when we ask the favor. So, now we're going to get to that word that Jesus is going to tell us about his and should be our leadership. What's the word? You understand how it works in the world? Text goes on. But among you, my followers, it will be different. Not going to be that way. It's going to seem upside down, but it's going to make it worthwhile to be my follower. So he explains it. How's it going to be different? Well, here it is. Among you will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader, okay, it's good desire, good goal, but you must be a servant. Um, leader, servant, kind of upside down, right? And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave, or some translations say last. 
flavor of everybody else. Now, just in case they would object, and I'm sure they did, and that's you and I <laughs> object, or have excuses because we don't, can't do that or don't want to do that, one of the most powerful, convicting for me, verses for me is this next verse in all of Scripture. For even the Son of Man, even I, Jesus, came not to be served. How could that be? You're God, and you didn't come to be served? So why'd you come? To serve others and give my life a ransom for many. So anytime you and I may object to being servants or try not to be a servant, I'm going to leave with a question, a hypothetical question from Jesus, those of you that are Jesus followers. You think you're greater than me? I think that's what he was asking the disciples. You think you're greater than me? You want to be in positions of authority? That's not why I came. There's this incident where Jesus actually washes their feet again. Mind-boggling. So the narrative goes on. They leave Jericho, headed to Jerusalem. They reach Jericho, and then they left. Little, even today, it's a very small place. And they left town, and a large crowd followed him. He's still got a large crowd. I don't know if it's next week or the next. We're going to get to his triumphal entrance to Jerusalem. Of course, five days later, he's executed, uh, crucified. So this, this crowd is following him. So let's get back to our map. I told you earlier where Jericho is. They cross over from the green into the orange area. Probably can't see it, but Jericho is really close to, uh, to the Jordan River there. And that's it's leaving there to go to Jerusalem. So they're getting close to Jerusalem. Um, but a fascinating incident, and this is where we'll finish up today. It's a fascinating incident. A blind man named Bartimaeus, again, real people, real time, real place, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. That's what blind people had to beg, and they couldn't work, and so they would sit alongside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that our main character of this story, right? Jesus of Nazareth, true story, was nearby. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, meaning Messiah. Son of David was going to be the Messiah. Have mercy on me. I'm a poor beggar. Now, what was the response of the crowd? Interesting. They said, shut up, be quiet. <laughs> this, this Jesus is too important to deal with you. Well, why? Well, remember the theology? Bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Being blind is a bad thing, so you sinned or your parents sinned, and you're cursed. So Jesus doesn't have to... And now, they didn't understand Jesus, obviously. Uh, so the people are yelling this at him. But that, did that shut him up? No. He shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. So how did Jesus respond? And this is, again, so convicting to me personally. He stopped. He stopped. Just tell him to come here. Now, Jesus is headed toward the most important 
appointment in the history of the world. Going to Jerusalem, suffering and dying for the sins of mankind. He's headed on the most important, important appointment in history. And we all rush around with all our really important appointments, right? <laughs> so sometimes following Jesus means stopping, slowing down. I came across this term. I love this term. <laughs> I never heard it before. The discipline of holy noticing. Do you and I practice that? Man, I'm a task-oriented person. I figure out what I need to do, and I head to it, and I don't see much else. To my shame. Jesus. Theoretically, the busiest person in the world, right? Stopped for a blind beggar. Text goes on. So they call the blind man, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. Jesus has given you his attention. Now, can you imagine what a day that was for this guy? That Jesus stopped to give him his attention. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Ask him the same question. They asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus did this repeatedly to people that we would think it was obvious, right? Blind, lame, whatever. I think it was more for the audience than for the person. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. I don't think Jesus said this, but the sarcastic part of me is thinking, Jesus is thinking, you want to sit on my right and my left too? But actually, what did he want? Well, the obvious, right? My rabbi, blind man said. I noticed, I love that fact he called him my rabbi. I want to see. I just want to see. Now, he wanted to see physically. And I want to encourage you to make it a prayer. Jesus, I want to see how you, like you see. I want to see people around me the way you see me. I want to see the society the way you see me. I want to see my family the way you see, you see, not see me. And here's the real important reason why it's important to see the way Jesus sees. Because it makes it a whole lot easier to obey. And we see obedience as a sacrifice, don't we? We see that I'm giving up this so I can be obedient to you. Let me assure you of one important thing. Obedience is never a sacrifice. Never. I want you to think about it this way. It's an investment in the kingdom of God, your obedience and mine. Never a sacrifice. It's an investment. The story ends up, Jesus says to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. So back to that one word about leading like Jesus. Back in chapter 10, verse 42. But among you, my followers, it will be different. Not to boss other people around, but to serve 
other people are at. So I'm going to ask you, what does that look like in your life, in your, your place of work, your business, your retirement, <laughs> your family? And again, just in case you and I have a pushback against that type of leadership, the words of Jesus. For even I, Jesus, didn't come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. That made Jesus worth following, and that makes you and I worth following. So, Practical question, your life, your situation, whatever it is. Ask people, what can you do to help? I'm here to serve you. What can I do to help? Uh, Hopefully you've been reading ahead, so these stories, you're kind of familiar with them, these narratives. Um, So this is chapter, text, we're going to cover next week, Mark 11 through 14, 50. And we're headed, we're traveling along with Peter on this journey with Jesus. Three weeks away, culminating in Resurrection Day, Easter morning. So hopefully you can join us for the next couple of weeks. Let me pray with you. Oh, Father God, thank you for these narratives. They teach us so much about your kingdom, how different it is. It's kind of upside down, but so much better and filled with purpose and meaning. Um, God, forgive us when we think we're better than, than Jesus, that we can't serve somebody, but we deserve to be served. Again, forgive us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for anyone who is still deciding if they want to follow or not. I would pray that they would understand there is cost. We'd be foolish as, as Christians to say there's not a cost, but it's the greatest bargain in the universe. Best deal ever. I trade my sins and my screwed up life for salvation, cleansing, and not a perfect life, but a life filled with Jesus. Meaning, filled with purpose. So God, I pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower who might be listening. Or watching. Today would be the day they would accept that gift and enter into an intimate personal relationship with you. The greatest day of their lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence here. We thank you for speaking to us today. We pray our hearts are open to your message. Change us. We want to be like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.